You're listening to sermon audio from Redeemer Georgetown. For more information about Redeemer Georgetown, connect with us on social media or check us out at www.redeemergeorgetown.com. We're in week three of a four-part series, four great gospel truths about who God is and how those truths can change the way we view everything because of who God is, that God is great, And because of God's greatness, I don't have to be in control. I get to be much like I was as a five-year-old in the backseat while on vacation. Mom and Dad take care of the logistics and driving and all that. I I just get to ride and and think about uh, my part of the cushion in the backseat, right? I'm not in control. I don't have to be in control because God is great. I can learn to live my life with more freedom. But also God is good, and I don't have to look elsewhere. I don't have to constantly be looking for something else to satisfy. God is good. And in his goodness, I feel what I am supposed to feel as a follower of Jesus is a satisfaction that is deep, that is lasting. Well, this morning we are in Daniel chapter 3, where we're going to be looking at this wonderful truth of God's glory. God's glory. I don't know what comes to mind when you think of God's glory, but because of God's glory, I don't have to fear others. Now, glory, biblically, has the idea of weight. Not just physical weight, though you could say that, but weightiness, heaviness. The idea that in God's perfection, in God's majesty, In God's greatness of person, in his glory as a person, we feel like we're up against something much larger, much greater, much more powerful, much more majestic, much more awesome than us. Uh, Many years ago, when the Dallas Cowboys would go to St. Edwards University, um, and they would have their practice, you know, their their week of practice they would do uh, there in St. Edwards I remember coming around a corner one time and walking right next to Charles Haley and Larry Allen. Now, I don't know if you guys know those names, but those are offensive and defensive linemen for the Dallas Cowboys back in the heyday. And I remember thinking, these men are not only way bigger and stronger than me, they're faster than me. If they wanted to, they could just pull my arm right out of socket. That's what it felt like. I felt small next to that immensity. And I felt small one time when I went to Lake Texoma and watched as they were generating electricity from that hydroelectric dam. You see the the, the power of that water coming out of that waterway. And you just feel like if you were to suddenly be thrust into that water, it would be the end of you with no question. You feel small next to that kind of power. Listen, friends, you... As you come into the presence of God, if your heart is alive and awake to him, you'll feel small, but you won't feel diminished. You'll feel small next to the majesty, the glory, the excellence, the perfection, the loveliness of who God is in his person. And that will shape how you view everything else. The size of your struggle will be brought into measure by the glory of God. The size of your own opinion about who you are will be brought into measure by the glory of God, by the weightiness, the majesty of God. 
God is a heavyweight to the highest order. Your own opinion of yourself will be measured accurately when you finally come into the glorious presence of God. Every now and then I'll hear somebody say something like this. I know God forgives me, but I can't forgive myself. Maybe you even had that thought before. You know, everything in me wants to call time out and go, are you sure that if God says something, but your opinion is different, that this one really has to be the highest weight that you have, that your opinion of, of who God is and how you get, find forgiveness, that's really greater than what the scripture says? Are you sure? You want to say that. Friends, the glory of God allows me to not even have to think about my own opinion of myself, let alone yours. Many times when I come into the pulpit and I find myself thinking, do I really want to say such challenging, hard words? What if people get offended and they don't come back? What if people think I'm a jerk? What if they think I'm an ancient dinosaur in my way of thinking that I'm on the other side of history, I'm on the wrong side of history. Oh my, you know what that is? That's giving you too much weight. But when I give God who he rightly is, the glory and the recognition of who he is, I'm not thinking about any of that. I'm free to think about who he is. Well, in Daniel chapter three, I wanna give you a little context. 2,600 years ago in modern day Iraq, a place called Babylon, a king named Nebuchadnezzar was a, not only a king, he was a victorious warrior king who had conquered everybody and everywhere. And in fact, he was so infatuated with his military victories that after having a dream in chapter two about uh, that Daniel had interpreted for him about the, the way that history would unfold and the various nations and kingdoms that would rise up, he decides that instead of looking at that revelation, he'll just create a massive statue to himself to recognize his own goodness, his own glory, his own dominion. And he invites every single elected leader, if you want to say it there, every congressman, every senator, every sheriff, every, you name it, if you're elected, if you're a part of his leadership team across all of Babylon, you're invited to come to a dedication of a statue that recognizes his glory. And in fact, he even says, when you get here, you're gonna hear the sound of music. And it really kind of sounds terrible. He mentions all kinds of crazy things like uh, uh, all these uh, lyres and uh, all these harps and horns and all these various things. When you hear the sound of that, you bow down and you worship that statue or you get thrown into a fiery furnace. And we know that is a binary choice, right? <laughs> you're either gonna do this or you're not. You do the bowing, you do, when you hear the sound of that music, you bow down and you worship or you go into this fire. So you make the choice, but we're gonna make it very simple for you. So they get there. And remember this, there's many conquered lands there. The nation of Israel had been conquered and they brought back the highest and best of their people. Well, they did the same with the Hittites, the Cushites, the Aggies, you name it. They brought them all together and brought them to this place and said, hey, when you hear the sound of this, 
you're going to bow down and worship. Don't make the mistake of thinking that these who did decide to bow were actually worshiping. They were just saving their own skin. Listen to these words in verse 4. The herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O people, O nations and languages, when you hear the sound of the horn and the pipe and the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, every kind of kitchen band music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever doesn't fall and worship shall immediately be cast into the fiery furnace. And therefore, listen to this, verse 7. As soon as all the people heard the sound of these various instruments, all the nations and languages fell down and they worshipped the golden image of Nebuchadnezzar that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. If you stay here this morning in the safety of your chair and you don't try to leave this in your mind's eye and go to that place where you, among a bunch of other different people, if you could imagine what you would feel in that moment as everybody bowed down all around you, not because they necessarily believed in this, but they understood this. I'm going to have to pretend that I do, or I'm going into a fiery furnace. And so as the groups around you all bow down, you have to picture in your own mind that wrestling match. What am I going to do? Am I going to stand up or am I going to save my skin? Am I going to deny my own belief system so that I can save my skin? Well, we find ourselves here in verse 8. It says that therefore at uh, that time certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of these, I'm going to list them again, all of these various different instruments that they should fall down at the golden image, and whoever does not fall down will be cast into the fiery furnace. Verse 12, therefore, certain Jews whom you've appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, listen to this, they pay no attention to you. And they do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. The Chaldeans were the astrologers, the astronomers, whichever one it was. That They were the wise men of their time. They're the ones that wanted to have the authority. And they see their moment here. Hey, these Jews who you've appointed to be in leadership over Babylon. This is the choice region. If you're going to be a senator, governor, whatever it is, this is the spot you want. These Jews are just ignoring you. They don't even care about you. They don't care about your image. They don't care about any of this, and they're defying you. Well, you can imagine how this is going to go. You just invited the whole nation of Babylon to come for a dedication. It's supposed to be a great celebration, a great day of Dedication and celebration to who Nebuchadnezzar is for how glorious he is. And you got these guys ruining the whole thing. Well, you know what's about to happen, I imagine. It says, and uh, we'll go on down to uh, verse 14. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound... 
of the horn and the pipe and the bagpipe, every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image I have made well and good. But if you do not, you shall be immediately cast into the burning, fiery furnace. And he adds this piece that wasn't there before. And who is the God who will be able to deliver you from my hands? <laughs> so, they've already decided they're not going to do it, right? And he flies into a rage, a rage. He brings them into his private quarters and says, is this really true? Because you can see now how mad I am. You can see that, that I'm really upset and I really meant this. And so I'm going to give you a second chance to deny your God and bow down and worship this idol. And if you do, well and good. But if you don't, you're going into that fiery furnace. And just so you know, have a good look around you. What God can save you from my hands? And here's what he's really saying. I'm bigger and stronger than any God of any nation that's already conquered out there, that already bowed. So you tell me as you look around, you really think your God who didn't save you when I went to war against the God of Israel years ago in Israel and I conquered and defeated that nation and brought you here, do you really think he's gonna show up here in Babylon and save you? What God can save you from my hands? The obvious answer is nobody. So here's your second chance. You might have passed the test when you came to the fork in the road earlier on, but this time you can see that I mean business. I'm going to give you a second chance to bow. Let me just call a timeout for a second. And I just want you to think about the fact that we all would like to imagine that we, because we've read the end of the book, would never bow. We know how this is going to work out. We know that God wins. We know that these young men win, but they don't know that at the time. And so there they stand in front of this king who was really like an angry toddler with a pistol. That's who this guy was. He was a nut. You know? Now he gets saved later on in the story, but this is a guy you don't want to make mad. And here he is saying, I'm going to give you a second chance to bow. You might have passed the test before, but that season's over and that time's done. Now is another chance. You get a chance to bow for a second time. You get to blow it this time if you'd like. Listen to their answer. It's the answer I hope I would give. Listen to this. Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Oh, wow. Come on. They say, we don't have to answer you in this. You told us before what the options were. We chose it, so just go ahead. There's no point in counting to three. You know, it's, it's really kind of funny when parents do that. You know, that crescendo counting, one, two. You know, it's that, hey, come on, I've told you not to do that, two-year-old, and you're not listening to me, so I'm going to angry count. That's what he's doing here. And some of you are like, man, we do that. We totally do that. I'm like, it's just, it's just funny, right? 
Either you want him to do it or you don't. I'm not sure about this whole counting thing. Well, he's counting. He's like, hey, if you're ready to bow down, they say, look, we've already decided. We're not going to bow down. But since you asked the question, who can deliver us from your hands? We want you to know our God can, and he will. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow. You guys know the name August Landmesser? Probably not August Landmesser. There's a famous image of this guy. This is August Landmesser. Um, you probably wouldn't recognize it from him, but this is the guy who refused to bow, though the culture around him was bowing. He's a guy that in the midst of Nebuchadnezzar's call to bow down in front of that idol, he's going to be the guy that says, I don't believe that, so I'm not going to do it. The greater context and the bigger picture of what's happening all around him, and you can kind of see it, is he's surrounded by a sea of people scared to death and giving the salute to Hitler. And there he stands saying, nah, not me, not doing it. And he was married to a Jewish woman. He ended up being killed in a concentration camp. But this is a guy that you look at and go, wow, wow. He's, he's like them. The question really becomes this, how do I have the courage and the faith to do as this man did, as these men did, to say in the midst of a culture that is constantly calling me to fear and save my own skin and comply, how do I do this? How do I have the courage and the faith when the tide is coming in and everything around me tells me that, to, that I should save my own skin, that I should just comply. Doesn't matter what you're thinking inside, save your skin, save your reputation, save yourself from suffering and just salute or just bow down. How do I get to that moment? You know what their real answer is in this passage? God's heavier than you, Nebuchadnezzar. He's bigger than you. He's weightier than you. Our God can save us. He will save us. And even if he doesn't, let's be clear about this. I'm not going to bow. God's glory is so weighty, so big, so incredible that it grounds me. It anchors me. It gives me courage when I'm afraid. It gives me stability in the midst of a storm. It allows me to stand my ground when everything around me is falling apart. Early on in my first church up in Sherman, Texas, I came into it not knowing this about myself. <laughs> that I had a wound that had been bleeding in my soul for years and years and years. It was the longing to be liked. You know, you have wounds that sometimes you can talk about, scars you can talk about. You know, this is an old football, football injury, you know, this, this one. And this one is, you know, when I broke my arm doing this or that. There's certain wounds that you'd be like, man, I can talk about that because it's kind of macho. Okay, well... You have others that aren't so macho in there. You don't want to talk about them. Here was the wound that was awake and alive in my soul, and I didn't even know it, was that I longed so much to be liked by people, to be appreciated by people. I loved God. 
and I wanted to serve God. But I came into the perfect place where I was going to be met with the truth that I cared too much what people thought about me. Church was growing. Church was just really starting to pick up pace. A couple hundred people, million and a half dollars in the bank. Everything was going my way except for this. I had two warring parties inside the church that were both pulling me this way and pulling me that way. And I could not find the way to bridge the gap. Now, I don't know if you know this about church, but if you've got money and people, no one, hardly anybody ever questions whether or not you're succeeding. Money and people are not success, but if you've got them, nobody's going to question how you're doing, what you're doing, any of that. And so I felt this sense of how do I win here? How do I make people see that I'm not going your way and I'm not going your way. I'm going God's way. And one particular guy that was just undermining everything. I mean, he was taking people to lunch and telling them terrible things uh, like, man, Robert's not up for this. Robert's not ready for this, blah, blah, blah. A bunch of different stuff. And then they'd come to me and be like really upset with me. And they'd be like, what are you, what are you talking about? I'm like, well, you know, so-and-so said that this is what you thought. And I'm like, wow. And I was, here's the truth. I was afraid to confront that problem. I was 30 years old. I had a, a, a little girl and a mortgage and a car payment and a wife. And I was like, man, if I confront this problem, I'm going to get fired. And so I just tried to be nice. I just tried to win with personality. I tried to win with preach strong, preach well, be nice. You know, and the Lord just spoke into my heart and said, Robert, You've got to stop fearing man whose, whose life is in his nostrils, is what Isaiah chapter 2 says. Stop fearing man whose life is in his nostrils. You know what God is saying in that? I'm God Almighty. I'm the maker of heaven and earth. I hold your life in my hands. I hold this church. I hold your finances. I hold your future right here. Stop giving too much credit to what other people are going to do or not do and think and not think. We live in a culture right now that try, it tries and tries and tries to say, you're going to have to comply with our way of seeing things or we will ostracize you. If you don't hold the right view on marriage between one man, one woman for life, if you don't hold that view, we're going to push you out into the darkness and into the cold. You're going to have to bow or we're going to label you and dismiss you. If you start to talk too much about a bloody cross and hell and heaven, there are people who are going to say, hey, we're not signed up for that. In fact, I brought a friend today, and that's not what I was hoping you were going to preach on because that's like really offensive. Can't you just be positive? Talk about good things and how God's going to poof you with all this fun stuff in life, and you're going to be fine. But don't talk <laughs> about these things. We're going to push you out. You know what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would say? Hey, I'm not bowing. I'm not bowing. And it's not because I hate you. You're just confused and lost like all of us are at some level until we come into the light of God's presence. You're, but I'm not going to compromise on what God says is true. I'm going to stand here and he's going to deliver me. And even if he doesn't, I'm not going to bow. Right? And so what I'm encouraging you to think about 
is that you would consider who God is, how glorious, how weighty, how powerful, how substantial he is, and make that your guiding star. Can God deliver you? Yes, he can, and even if he doesn't, we don't bow. Because Matt Chandler used to say this, when he, you guys know Matt Chandler, is the head of Acts 29. When he got sick, he had a brain tumor, um, a very aggressive, ugly cancer. He said, I know that God can save me. I know that God can heal me. And even if he doesn't and I die young, I am still going to worship him. I have no idea what you're wrestling with. I know that God can today change the circumstances in your life so that you would say, my prayers are answered. God has done what I hoped he would do. He's answered what I hoped for. And now I'm relieved. I'm no longer afraid. I'm no longer hurting. I'm no longer alone. God, you get the glory. Okay, great. He can do that. But even if he doesn't, he's worthy of your praise. He's worthy of your worship. Another quote that stuck with me since the time I heard it, I didn't even like the sound of it, but I knew it was true. That God, because of who he is, is worthy of all of my life, all of my praise, even if at the end of my life, I went straight to hell. And I thought, hang on, wait, no. Like, we, we praise him, but, but it's because he saved us. No, no, we praise him because of who he is. He is God Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. He is the giver and sustainer of life, worthy of all of our praise. The fact that he saves us is absolute grace. Absolute grace. Well, <laughs> so they say, we're not, our God can do it. Our God's going to do it. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow. And it says in verse 19 that Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. The expression of his face was changed against the, these young men, and he ordered that the furnace be heated seven times more than it usually was heated. He ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind them and cast them into the fiery furnace. The men were bound with their cloaks and their tunics and their hats and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. And because the king's order was so urgent and the furnace was overheated, the flames of the fire killed those men who took them. And these men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the fiery furnace. Now, I want you to do your best. <coughs> Use your inner animator to picture this. You've been bound, you and your two buddies. You're now the fourth one, okay? So you're right there with them. I don't think the bravado of, hey, we don't have to answer you, and we're not afraid of you. I don't think any of that's there. I think these men are afraid like any of us would be afraid but they're willing to go forward. And as they go in, bound up and pushed into this fire, here's what happens. They land on the coals in the midst of the fire and suddenly their hands are free. And then they look around in the midst of the fire and they go, what in the world is going on right now? We're not even hurt by this. 
And it says that King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. And he rose up and he declared uh, to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered and said, True, O king. And he answered, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not even hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. So in the midst of being bound up, frightened to death, holding on to your faith, here was the thought. So our God didn't save us from this. No, he didn't save them from the fire. He saved them through the fire. Please understand this. He didn't save them from the fire. He saved them through the fire. He got in with them. There are times when I've wanted God to do something and he said no. And I had this thought. I thought you loved me. I mean, if I loved somebody and they were hurting, I'd fix it. So why aren't you changing this? I mean, if you love me, don't make me go into that fire. I don't want to go into that fire. Yeah, Robert, it's because I love you that I'm going to meet you in the midst of that fire. I'm not going to save you from it. I'm going to save you through it. I'm going to get into that valley. I'm going to get into that place of hurt, and I'm going to meet you there. And the only thing that's going to be burned on you are the binds that were holding you tight. Friends, this is the glory of God. We got option A and B for him. And he's got options C, D, E, and F, and we just can't see it. And in the midst of the worst of the worst, God meets these men there, and he joins them in that fire. There's a fellowship in the <coughs> furnace that you can't have outside of it. I hope that God answers your prayers. I hope that God gives you whatever thing it is you most feel like you need right now. But it's very likely that God sees the need underneath that need. That he knows something you just don't know. And that he has introduced into your life something that you don't want. But he sees as necessary. And what's going to burn off of you in the midst of that? Only the ropes that were holding you back. Well... Gosh, I hate when my watch does that. Okay, it says, Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning furnace, and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out here. You know, if I'm in there, and it's Jesus, by the way, it's pre-incarnate Jesus in the midst of this, if I'm in that fire with my buddies and Jesus, and I hear that joker out there saying, hey, this is amazing, you should come out. I'm thinking, nah. You chunked me in here, by the way. <laughs> and now that you've chunked me in here, I'm experiencing something awesome. And I want to stay here. Because even in this, even in this, there's a beauty of fellowship with people and with God, with the people of God and God himself. I don't know what's coming our way as a nation we, Chris Danasa and I used to say this, what, what, if, what if COVID doesn't go away in six weeks? What if it lasts a long time? What if other things start to happen and get worse and worse and worse? What if that is our story for the next 10 years? I don't think I could stand that because our early prayers were, God, take this away, take this away. There comes a moment when you stop saying take it away and you start saying, God, burn whatever needs burnt. 
meet me in my fire. Meet me in this time. Because here's the beautiful thing that happens when they come out. It says, the hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. No smell of fire had come upon them. And Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And listen to this. They set aside the king's command. And here's the most important part. They yielded up their bodies rather than to serve and worship any god except their own god. They yielded up their bodies. This is what worship looked like. We kind of tend to think of worship as just the songs we're singing up here. That's worship. You know what else is worship? When you give up your life for the glory of God. When you let go of protection and preference and, and everything familiar. When you let go of that because the glory of God is so weighty. It's, it's, he's a heavy weight compared to everything else in your life. And you go, you know, it's okay, God. Whatever you want to do with me. However you want to do it. Whatever you've got for me. Just be with me in the midst of it. They gave up their bodies to worship God. I love what he says, and therefore I make a decree. Any people, any nation, any language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be not thrown in the fiery furnace. We already tried that one. It didn't work. So here he says, you'll be torn limb from limb and their houses burned or laid into ruins and no other God is able to rescue in this way. You know, you gotta love this guy. You know, he's got options. Yeah, I was going to chuck you into the fire, but now I'm just going to stretch you until your arms and legs pop off. I'm going to burn your house down. <laughs> so worship the God of Israel, or I'm going to tear you limb from limb. How do I become a man? How do you become a man or woman of God that won't bow? It's not by you gritting your teeth and being courageous. You don't have the courage to do what they did. It's all right. Here's what I want you to hear. They met him in the fire. They had fellowship in the fire. You know what Jesus had in the Garden of Gethsemane? Isolation and loneliness. He walked into his valley, into his, his fiery furnace. He walked into it alone. And at the greatest moment of need, when he could have turned around and ran out of that, he went forward because of his love for his father and his love for us. He faced the fiery furnace of God's wrath for us. We don't have to. He went alone into the uh, Golgotha experience and he suffered to the point where he cried out and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even his father turned his face. There was a darkening of the the koinonia, the fellowship between the Father, Son, and Spirit, there was a darkening of that relationship for that moment of time. He went alone into a place where we'll never have to. If God puts you in the furnace, he's coming with you. He'll meet you there. You'll find the love of God in the worst of nights, in the darkest of nights, him there with you. That's why we do this thing called communion, right? We understand this communion thing. Communion means union with God. Because of what Jesus has done. You can't get there and don't have the courage and the faith. There are many times where I've said to the Lord, I know what the right thing is to do, but I'm afraid. I'm afraid. I, I can't afford that. I don't know if I'd stand up under the pressure of this. 
Will you meet me and give me courage? Will you remind me of your glory so I'm not afraid of people? And so that I'm not afraid of my own opinion anymore? I can let go of that? Friends, that's why we're about to take communion. I want you to be reminded that when you're not enough, Jesus is enough. He's already gone through the fiery furnace. He's gone to the cross. He's faced the wrath of God for us. We don't have to be afraid because he's already done it. His glory is on full display when he's wearing that crown of thorns and he's hanging on a cross. That's the glory of our great God. And he would give his son so that we wouldn't have to be afraid of eternal fiery furnace. We're saved from the wrath of God because of what Jesus has done. That gives me courage. That gives me strength. As I talk about it with other believers, we get encouraged together. We come into deeper trust together. You can't get there by yourself. You're not, you're not gonna make it. You'll think about the glory of God and then it'll vanish. But when you hear and see other people learning about the glory of God, the weightiness of God, you're gonna say, man, all right, for this moment in time, I have courage to do what God has called me to do because Jesus has paid my price.